Chapter 8 of The Emancipation of South America by Bartolomé Mitre. Translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Progress and Fall of the Chilean Revolution, 1811 to 1814. The disappearance of the Radical Party in Congress, the reactionary policy of the Conservatives, and the proceedings of Rosas in Concepcion had more evil effect upon the course of the revolution in Chile. Liberalism became anarchy, and the moderates became mixed up with the Spanish party. At this junction, Don José Miguel Carrera returned to his native land. Carrera was a scion of one of the most distinguished families in Chile, and was at that time twenty-seven years of age. He had fought in Spain against the French, and brought with him a major's commission, granted by the Junta of Galicia, and the brilliant uniform of an hussar. He had two brothers, officers in the army of Chile. The elder, Juan José, was a man of Herculean strength, but of feeble intellect, wanting in moral courage, and full of envy of his more talented brother. The youngest and most amiable of the three was named Luis, and was at that time twenty years of age. In danger he was always found of the front rank, and was devoted to José Miguel. These three had a sister, Javiera, of great beauty and of masculine strength of mind. She was skilful in intrigue and ambitious, but was distinguished both by social and domestic virtues. Her intrepid spirit made her an agaria of her brothers. José Miguel was a man of action and a thinker so far as his unruly nature would permit, of vehement passions and licentious life, a ready writer and a brilliant speaker, of good presence and of attractive manners, but with an overweening sense of his own importance. He was a sort of an Alcibiades, shorn of his great qualities. Carrera presented himself publicly to Congress, dressed in his brilliant uniform, offered his services and his sword, and then entered into secret negotiations with the Liberal Party, through the powerful family of La Reine. With them he organized a popular demonstration, by which the government was upset on the 4th of September. A new junta of five members was appointed. Six of the members of Congress for the capital were dismissed as illegally elected, and three seats were declared vacant. Congress had hesitated to grant the request of the government of Buenos Aires for forty quintals of gunpowder from the factory in Chile. The new government sent off two hundred quintals. It reduced the taxes, reformed some abuses in administration, encouraged industry, armed the militia, and had the glory of making Chile the first nation in America to abolish slavery. The principal posts were monopolized by the Larraine family, greatly to the disgust of Carrera. One of this family, boasting that the legislative, executive, and judicial presidencies were all held by them, Carrera asked, And who has the presidency of the bayonets? Dazzled by his popularity, he now not only thought of how to overturn the new government, and even sought and obtained help from Spanish party to this end. On the 15th of November, Juan José Carrera mutinied with his battalion and seized the barracks of the artillery. Luis headed the artillerymen and dragged the guns into the street, the roll of their wheels on the pavement giving the signal for a fresh revolution. José Miguel put himself at the head of the mutiny and summoned the executive and Congress to meet and hear the petitions of the people. He was joined only by the Spanish party 
who shouted for the dissolution of the Junta and of Congress. The next day an open cabildo was convened, which named a new Junta, composed of José Miguel Carrera as representative of the capital, Gaspar Marín for the north, and Rozas, or in his absence Don Bernardo O'Higgins for the south. This resolution was presented to Congress by the military chiefs, and Congress, after some delay, authorized the appointment of the new junta. On the 27th of November, on pretext that he was in danger of assassination, Carrera made several arrests. He himself took one of the prisoners to the barracks, made him kneel before a crucifix, and by threatening him with immediate execution, forced from him a declaration against the others. The trial which followed proved the innocence of the accused. Called to account by his colleagues and by Congress, he, on the 2nd of December, demanded the dissolution of the latter, occupied the legislative palace with troops, and forced from the assembly a decree to that effect. Marin and O'Higgins protested and withdrew from the junta. Carrera replaced them by one of his own partisans and by a noted leader of the Spanish party. The two political parties, which represented the aristocracy and democracy of Chile, disappeared, and the country fell under the domination of a military oligarchy, which, setting aside laws, juntas, and congresses, depended only on the army for support. Juan José Carrera was raised to the rank of brigadier-general, and his brothers were made lieutenant-colonels with special decorations for their services. Public opinion was entirely against the Carreras. All eyes turned to the south and to Rothas as the only man who could vindicate the law. Rothas protested against the mutiny and offered his assistance to Congress, but he was in an anomalous position. By leaving the capital and setting up an opposition junta at Concepcion, he had entered upon dangerous ground and had sapped the base of his moral power. He had destroyed the territorial unity of the revolution, and had aroused provincial jealousies. Thus Carrera, though destitute of political principle, and seeking only his own aggrandizement, was the true representative of the cause of national unity. The center of Chile is divided from the south by the river Maule. Carrera stationed an army on the north bank, while, through the intervention of O'Higgins, he conferred with Rosas. On the 12th of January, 1812, a convention was drawn up by three plenipotentiaries, which recognized the South, Center, and North as three distinct provinces, each of which should name one member of an executive, until a constituent congress could be convened. Carrera was in no haste to ratify this convention, till an army from the South advanced to the line of the Maule. A collision was prevented by an interview on the 25th of April between the two leaders, who verbally agreed to the ratification of the convention and the reinstallation of Congress. This agreement was hailed with joy throughout the country, and Carrera was received in triumph on his return to Santiago. It was not patriotism nor fear of the penquistos which induced Carrera to restore the Congress he had dissolved. The Argentine government, appealed to by the government of Concepcion, had offered their mediation, but the most serious matter was that the province of Valdivia had on the 12th of March declared itself royalist, and proclaimed Carrera captain-general of the kingdom, an appointment which he indignantly rejected. Valdivia occupied the extreme south of the country. 
had a seaport with fortifications which were considered impregnable, and was supported by the archipelago of Chiloe, where the people were all royalists, and had a royalist garrison. Early in 1812 the first printing press was established in Chile, and on the 13th of February appeared the first newspaper, entitled La Aurora de Chile, edited by Camilo Enriquez, a priest, assisted by an Argentine named Vera y Pintado, and by Irrizarra of Guatemala. From the United States, together with the printing press, came Mr. Poinsett, as consular agent, who introduced a new element into the political opinions of the country, democratic ideas, which new ideas found at first little acceptance save in the army, where they were fostered by Carrera as an counterpoise to the federal ideas which had gained strength during the recent events. On the night of the 9th of July, a revolutionary movement broke out in Concepcion, headed by the partisans of Orozas, but secretly fomented by the Spanish party, which dissolved the provincial junta. Rozas went to Santiago, whence he was banished by Carrera to Mendoza, and died there on the 3rd of March, 1813. Carrera was now without a rival, and the revolution gained in unity and in strength. The various parties commenced to fuse together, with his authority as a common centre, and the desire for independence became more marked. When Consul Poinsett celebrated his national anniversary on the 4th of July, the flag of the Stars and Stripes was seen entwined with an unknown tricolored flag, bearing a lone star in one of its corners. This unknown flag was the new flag of Chile. On the 16th of July, the tricolored cockade was worn by all the citizens of Santiago, and on the 30th of September, the new flag was formally recognized as the national ensign. Nevertheless, independence was not then declared. Still, government was carried on in the name of Ferdinand VII, while the Carreras went about the city at night in disguise, with groups of young men pulling down the escutcheons of the Creole aristocracy. In order to test his popularity, Carrera then sent in his resignation, which the Cabildo refused to accept. In consequence of a misunderstanding with his brother, Juan José, who was still envious of him, he repeated his resignation, but in conjunction with his brother Luis, reserved the command of the army. His father, Don Ignacio, was appointed to succeed him, and supported by Don Juan José, adopted a reactionary policy, which was opposed by José Miguel and Luis, at the head of the troops. The two brothers, assisted by two friends, then drew up a plan for a constitution, which was presented to the junta by one of their adherents. This plan created a Senate of seven members, and contained two clauses which provided that, quote, Ferdinand VII was king on condition of accepting and swearing the constitution made by the people, end quote, and, quote, no decree emanating from authority outside the territory shall have any effect, those who obey it being punished as traitors to the state, end quote. These clauses were accepted by the junta, but Don Ignacio Carrera, being afraid to sign them, retired from the government, and Don José Miguel returned to office. Carrera was again dictator, and opposition was silent in the face of a new danger. A royalist army had invaded Chilean territory and occupied the south. He was now the champion of a noble cause. All the military chiefs, even those who opposed his policy, obeyed him willingly. 
the people saw in danger the justification of a strong government. The military repute he had brought with him from Europe caused him to be regarded as the first soldier of his country. Abascal, Viceroy of Peru, was then more than seventy years old. By firmness and prudence he had maintained peace in his viceroyalty in the midst of the commotions which stirred all Spanish America. More than that, he had made Peru the centre of the royalist reaction, had crushed rebellion in Upper Peru, had made war on the Argentine provinces, had sent an expedition to Quito, and had kept Chiloe under his orders. He had watched the Chilean revolution from its commencement, waiting for a favourable opportunity to attack it. Antonio Pareja, an experienced soldier, was named commander-general of Valdivia and Chiloe, and early in 1813 reached the island with five vessels, a number of officers, 50 soldiers, and $50,000. He quickly organized the militia of the archipelago with the garrison as a nucleus, and crossed to Valdivia with 1,400 men, where he incorporated the garrison of that fortress, raising his force to over 2,000 men. These he arranged in three divisions, each with six guns, and, re-embarking, sailed northwards, keeping his destination secret. Three days afterwards, on the 26th of March, he landed in the bay of San Vicente, taking the town of Talcahuano in the rear, and threatening Concepcion in front. Talcahuano was taken by assault. The garrison of Concepcion mutinied and gave up the city. Thus speedily he was master of the south, and further strengthened his force by the garrisons of Arauco. With 2,000 regulars, from two to 3,000 militia, and with 25 guns, he opened the campaign early in April. At Chilean, the country rose in his favor, increasing his force to 6,000 men, with whom he occupied the line to the river Nuble, which lies to the south of the Maule. Carrera was equally active. He proclaimed himself general-in-chief with full powers, declared war against the viceroy of Peru, set up a gibbet in the plaza of santiago on which to hang all those who should hold communications with the enemy and caused the imposition of a forced loan of two hundred and sixty thousand dollars upon those hostile to the revolution which measures inspired general enthusiasm and confidence on the first of april he established his headquarters to the north of the maule with merely an escort and gave orders for the concentration of the army at talca his friend Consul Poinsett accompanied him as a volunteer, and the same day he was joined by O'Higgins, who forgot his resentment, an example followed by McKenna, who was a talented engineer. Calling in the militia of the South, who remained faithful, in twenty days he was at the head of ten thousand men, from whom he organized an army of two thousand and five hundred regulars, badly armed, and as many lancers of the militia, with sixteen field pieces. The campaign opened with a piece of good fortune which greatly encouraged the patriots. It chanced that an officer sent with five hundred men to surprise the vanguard of the enemy at a pass on the Maule misunderstood his orders, and on the night of the 27th of April fell in with the main body of the royalists, some five or six thousand strong. Not knowing who they were, he attacked them and captured the whole of the artillery. At dawn the enemy recovered from their panic, pursued him and recaptured the guns and prisoners the loss of the patriots in killed and wounded was four times that of the royalists but the moral effect was that of a victory 
the greater part of the irregular cavalry deserted from Pareja, who nevertheless advanced to the Maule. The army was drawn up to force the passage, when the men from Chiloe and Valdivia threw down their arms and refused to go further. They cared nothing for the royalist cause beyond the Maule. Pareja, lying on a stretcher, stricken with a mortal disease, ordered a retreat, on which the rest of the irregulars dispersed, and he was left with little more than a thousand men. Carrera knew nothing of what had occurred, and let fifteen days pass before he made up his mind to cross the river. The Patriot Vanguard, under Luis Carrera, came up with Pareja on the 15th of May, as he was about to pass the Nuble. The Royalists halted, the dying general mounted on horseback for the last time, and placed Captain Sanchez in command. Sanchez at once occupied some rising ground, where he threw up an entrenchment with his baggage, and formed his infantry in square, and opened fire with twenty-seven guns upon the Patriots, checking their advance. Carrera then took the command, and on the arrival of Don Juan José with the 2nd Division, drew up his infantry in line with cavalry on the flanks to surround the enemy. Don Juan José, without waiting for orders, attacked the position and was driven back. The same fate befell another battalion which followed his example. The guns were dismounted at the first shot. The cavalry which had passed to the rear of the enemy were dispersed by artillery fire and the infantry fell back in disorder. The third division, under O'Higgins and McKenna, then came up and prevented the advance of the enemy, which would have turned the repulse into a rout. Night put a stop to this strange affair, and Carrera retreated in disorder to San Carlos. Sanchez crossed the Nuble with all his artillery, without further molestation, and retreated to Chilian, with a loss of six killed and fifteen wounded. This battle of San Carlos showed that Carrera was destitute of military talent, but he had the strength of mind to reject the counsels of his disheartened officers who advised him to withdraw the army beyond the Maule, and for the first time drew up a definite plan of operations. With one part of his army he occupied Concepcion and Talcahuano, cutting off the retreat of the enemy by sea, and dispatched O'Higgins with his division to Arauco, securing the south, but in these manoeuvres he lost much time, and one detachment of 650 men left in reserve on the Nuble was captured by a royalist force from Chillán. Sanchez was an obscure soldier, born in Galicia, of no real genius, but quick-sighted, of great tenacity, and devoted to the cause he served. At Chian he entrenched himself, aided by the people, who were all royalists, and by the preaching friars, who had there a convent, which soon became a well-provisioned citadel. When Carrera, against the advice of O'Higgins and McKenna, determined at the end of July to besiege Chian, it was already winter, the season of heavy rains. On the 3rd of August, McKenna established a battery of six guns, at 450 yards from the trenches. The following morning Sanchez made a vigorous sally, but was driven back. The same afternoon he made another attack upon a reserve battery, under the fire of his own redoubts, a ball from which blew up the ammunition of the battery, causing great confusion. Carrera ordered the battery to be abandoned, but his officers disobeyed him, and O'Higgins coming up to the rescue, the enemy was again repulsed. The losses were considerable on both sides but the sufferings of the besiegers were augmented by the inclemency of the weather. 
a convoy of ammunition for Carrera was intercepted by Royalist guerillas, thirty miles from the encampment, and delivered to Sanchez, whose supplies were running short. On the 5th, Sanchez made another attack upon the advanced battery, which was bravely repelled by Luis Carrera. The Patriot General then ordered an assault upon the town, which was beaten off by the townspeople themselves. The spirit of the Patriot Army was broken. Deaths and desertions greatly reduced their numbers. Carrera summoned the garrison to surrender. Sanchez replied by proposing an armistice, during which the Patriots should recross the Maule. A council of war was called, and against the advice of McKenna, the siege was raised. On the 14th of August, the Patriot army encamped on the banks of the Itata, and from this moment their cause declined. Carrera again fell into the error of dividing his army. He posted one division near the mouth of the Itata, under command of his brother Juan José, to protect the line of the Maule, and O'Higgins was dispatched with a weak division to secure his frontier on the Biobio. With the rest of his forces he went to Concepcion, while his guerillas scoured the country in every direction. This was just what suited Sanchez, who could do nothing with a strong force in front of him. He had plenty of irregulars who knew the country well, and split up his force into flying columns to the north and south. The depredations of the patriots stirred up the resistance of the people, and various detachments were cut up in detail. O'Higgins could not prevent the reconquest of the line of the Biobio and the occupation of Arauco, by which supplies were drawn by the royalists from Valdivia and Chiloe. At the end of September, Carrera was shut up in Concepcion, and the Patriot army was blockaded in three separate divisions. He ordered their concentration at Concepcion. Juan José Carrera reached the Membriar, near to the junction of the Digiin with the Itata, early in October where he was forced to entrench himself. Carrera then marched to meet O'Higgins and joined him at the pass of El Roble, some ten miles to the east of Membriar. The united forces, about one thousand strong, encamped on ground badly chosen. Sanchez, joining the irregulars with a division from the Chian, attacked them there on the night of the 19th of October. In the confusion, Carrera jumped his horse into the river and went off to join his brother, receiving a lance wound in his flight. His absence was not noticed, but O'Higgins, after three hours' firing, led a bayonet charge upon the enemy and drove them across the river. When Carrera returned to the camp, he saluted O'Higgins as, quote, the saviour of the division and of the country, end quote, and in his official despatch spoke of him as, Quote, the first of the soldiers capable of uniting in himself the glories of Chile. End quote. These words were his own abdication, his military star was eclipsed. After this affair, Carrera again changed his plan. He left his brother and O'Higgins at the confluence of the Digiin and Itata, protected by fieldworks, and returned to Concepcion. This destroyed his prestige in the army and in the public opinion. The press gave the signal of general discontent. Even from the pulpit, the disastrous influence of the three Carreras was condemned. When Carrera took command of the army, his place as dictator was for a time filled by his brother Juan José. When he also took the field, his two colleagues resigned. The corporations and the Senate then named a new junta of three, chosen from the moderate party, two of whom were enemies of Carrera. 
the new Junta were active in furnishing supplies, until the raising of the siege of Chillán and the revolt of the province of Concepcion produced strained relations between them and Carrera. The capital became excited by the adverse course of the war, and the Liberals of 1811 clamoured for a change in the constitution. The press advocated the adoption of a more republican system. On the 8th of October, a meeting of the corporations, convened by the Junta, confirmed them in power, but directed that the seat of government should be removed to Talca. Don José Ignacio Cienfuegos, a man of great influence in the south and an enemy of Carrera, joined the Junta, and Larrain, an ex-president of the late Congress and also an enemy of Carrera, was left in charge of the affairs at Santiago. Government had organized in the capital a new battalion officered by their own adherents, and had asked for a supply of arms from Buenos Aires. The 300 Chilean auxiliaries came back from that city, and the Argentine government, in return for their services, had decreed that an Argentine auxiliary force of equal number should march to the assistance of Chile. This column, raised in the province of Cordoba and Mendoza, crossed the Andes under the command of Don Juan Gregorio Las Eras, and were warmly welcomed. Their first duty was to escort to the Junta to Talca, where Colonel Don Marco Balcarce took command of the contingent. The Junta, on receiving news of the affair at El Roble, resolved to remove Carrera from the command, and first thought of replacing him by Balcarce, but yielding to national sentiment decided to appoint colonel o'higgins whose tried valor and civic virtues gave him great popularity both in the army and throughout the country the appointment in february eighteen fourteen had an evil effect upon the army where carrera still had many partisans splitting it into two parties Carrera left for the capital, accompanied by his brother Luis, but on the road they were taken prisoners by a party of royalist irregulars under Barañao and carried off to Chillán. The army of which O'Higgins took command consisted of about 2,500 men dispersed in factions, disheartened, and badly armed and equipped. On the 31st of January, a reinforcement of royalist troops landed at Arauco, consisting of 800 men and six guns under Brigadier General Gainza, appointed by the Viceroy as successor to Pareja. Eight days later, he crossed the Biobio and joined Sanchez at Chian, without meeting an insurgent on his march. O'Higgins stationed one division of his army at Membriar, while with the rest he marched to the line of the Biobio to intercept the supplies of the enemy. This plan was as bad as those of Carrera. McKenna, left in command at Membriar, had under his orders on the 14th of February 800 infantry, 100 dragoons, and 16 guns. Soon after, the country around was occupied by the light troops of the enemy, so that he was obliged to make sallies in force to procure supplies and forage. On one of these occasions, when he had taken a considerable number of cattle, his rear guard was attacked by a much stronger force, which was driven off with heavy loss by Las Eras with one hundred of the Argentine auxiliaries. Meantime, a royalist detachment of three hundred men had crossed the Maule, and on the 4th of March attacked the city of Talca, from which the junta had already withdrawn. The feeble garrison made a stout resistance under Colonel Spano, 
a Spaniard who had joined the Patriots in 1809, but was overpowered, Spano dying wrapped in the tricolored flag he had so bravely defended. This blow spread consternation in Santiago. The people crowded to the plaza, and Irizarri proposed the appointment of a dictator, following the example of the Roman Republic in times of danger, and Colonel Lastra, governor of Valparaiso, was named supreme dictator. The new government in a few days organized a force of 1,500 men with six guns and placed in command a young man named Don Manuel Blanco Encalada, but these raw troops were repulsed in an attack upon Talca and were afterwards completely routed at Cancherayada on the 27th of March. The position of Mackenna at Membriar became very difficult. The loss of Talca cut his communications with the capital. He threw up more entrenchments and remained steadily on the defensive. O'Higgins started to his assistance on the 16th of March, leaving weak garrisons in Concepcion and Talcahuana. It was time. Gainza was already between them. On the 19th, O'Higgins drove in the Royalist vanguard at Quillo, and Gainza, withdrawing the garrison from Chian, fell next day upon Mackenna, but was beaten off with the loss of 80 killed. On the 23rd, O'Higgins joined McKenna, and next day moved off northward with 2,600 infantry, 600 cavalry, and 20 guns. Gainza, harassing his rear, marched in the same direction. Victory would lie with him who could first cross the Maule. O'Higgins, by a skilful maneuver, captured the pass, and throwing up defenses of brushwood in his rear, beat off an attack and crossed on the 4th of April. Gainza crossed by a different pass on the same day and tried to stop the march of the Patriot army at a pass on the Claro River. On the 7th O'Higgins forced the pass and the two armies faced each other between that river and the Lontue. At Quecherangas O'Higgins threw up entrenchments and on the 8th and 9th beat off attacks of the enemy, giving time for the arrival of reinforcements from Santiago. Gainza then retreated to Talca and the garrisons of Concepcion and Talcahuano capitulated. By this time the Anglo-Spanish armies had driven the French from Spain, and the government of Spain called upon the insurgent colonies to send deputies to Cortes. In Mexico the royalist armies were triumphant. The rising star of Bolivar at Caracas was about to suffer eclipse. The revolutions of Quito, Venezuela, and New Granada were crushed, lima still the great centre of reaction prepared yet another expedition to the conquest of chile only in the united provinces of the river plate did the revolution still hold its ground in these circumstances hilliard commodore of the british squadron of the pacific offered his mediation to the viceroy of peru for the pacification of chile his offer was accepted and he reached santiago just after the successful defence of quecherangas Government appointed O'Higgins and McKenna to conduct the negotiation. It was accordingly arranged on the 3rd of May that Chile should return to the state of the year 1811, under the rule of a provisional junta, subject to the regency of Spain, that the royalist troops should withdraw from Chile within one month, that Chile should send deputies to the peninsula to settle all disputes, and should do what she could to help the cause of Spain. This arrangement, which is known as the Treaty of Lircay, was badly received in the Royalist camp, and also by public opinion in Chile, and resulted in nothing more than a truce. 
it is a question whether these terms were agreed upon in good faith by either party. So far as Gainza was concerned, they saved him from certain defeat. Don Francisco Antonio Pinto, diplomatic agent of Chile in London, was instructed to repair to Madrid in representation of her interests, but the royalist troops were not withdrawn, and the government remained in the hands of Lastra as supreme director. Chile was resolved upon liberty at any cost, and public opinion, which had forced on the treaty, was now equally pronounced against it. The alliance between Chile and the United Provinces was de facto at an end, and the Argentine auxiliaries were withdrawn from the army to Santiago. On the 22nd of July, a mutiny in the barracks restored the Carrera to power. They proclaimed themselves the saviors of the country. By the Treaty of Lircay, Don José Miguel and Don Luis were excluded from the arrangement for a mutual exchange of prisoners. They were to be sent by sea to Valparaiso, and thence banished into honourable exile, but escaping from their prison at Chian, they had reached the capital and raised this mutiny, in which style of work Don José Miguel displayed more skill than he had done in the field against the national enemy. A provisional junta was named by the noisy shouts of an open cabildo, of which Carrera made himself president. Had Carrera torn up the Treaty of Lircay, he would have had both reason and patriotism on his side, but his first step was to confirm the clause relating to freedom of commerce with Peru and to exhort the people to preserve peace. As before, he had neither ideas nor courage, and in his hands Congress, Army and Revolution were all lost together. In spite of the protests of Las Eras, the Argentine auxiliaries were ignominiously expelled from the capital, on the pretext that it was their duty to assist the government when called upon. O'Higgins counselled them to observe absolute neutrality in all civil disputes, following the example of the Chilean auxiliaries in Buenos Aires in the revolution of 1812, and at the invitation of the Cabildo marched his army upon Santiago. Carrera met him on the plains of Maipo, where, for the first time, Chilean blood was shed by Chileans, and O'Higgins was defeated. Meantime, the Viceroy of Peru had refused to ratify the Treaty of Peace, had dispatched a fresh expedition to Talcahuano, and General Osorio, at the head of 5,000 men, was now marching on the capital. In this emergency, O'Higgins put himself and the remnants of his force under the orders of Carrera, who speedily collected five or six thousand men, who might have done something, had they been well fed, but neither he nor O'Higgins showed any capacity for command. The latter, with seventeen hundred men, was cut off from the main body and shut up at Rancagua, where he defended himself with desperate valour for thirty-two hours against the whole army of the royalists, till, his ammunition being exhausted, he cut his way through the enemy, at the head of three hundred men, and rejoined Carrera, who had retreated to Santiago. Here all was confusion, and the people, having lost confidence in their own leaders, were ready to shout for the king. Las Eras, marching south with the Argentine auxiliaries, met O'Higgins in full retreat towards the Cordillera, and protected the rear until the fugitives from Santiago were safe on Argentine soil. Carrera busied himself only in trying to secure the public treasure, which he packed on mules and carried off with him beyond Santa Rosa, 
but he was overtaken and the treasure fell into the hands of his pursuers on the slopes of las papeles on the eleventh of october on the night of the thirteenth he crossed the snow line on the summit bidding farewell to his country which he was never to see again so ended the first period of the revolution of chile which is styled quote, the time of the old country end quote. the new country was yet to come argentines and chileans in alliance were yet to raise from the dust the banners of rancagua and to bear them triumphant to the equator End of chapter 8